Amen. And actually, that was Ezekiel on recording. <laughs> that was not in case somebody actually believed that. Again, if you have a copy of God's Word, look with me to the book of Luke, chapter 8, as we continue our series in, the, in this uh, Lessons from Luke. Book of Luke, chapter 8, and we'll begin reading with verse 26. What we're doing in this series, we're looking at people who've had encounters with Jesus in the book of Luke. And what we've learned so far, and, and there's a pattern, we'll see it through the rest of this series, but it's, it's, it's a pattern all the time, and that is when you have a real encounter with Jesus, you're going to be challenged or you're going to be changed, sometimes both. And so we've been seeing that as Jesus has been meeting different people. Today, if you've not read this story, if you've never heard this story before, this is an amazing story. It's it's an incredible story, but it's also a troubling story. Book of Luke, chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. Talking about Jesus and the disciples, it says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is the opposite Galilee. And when he came out into the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons, who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in the house but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion. For many demons had entered him. And they were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it to the city and out in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, And they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who had been demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding districts asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. And he got into a boat and returned. But the man whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him, but he sent him away saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Pray with me. Our Father, as we open your word, we ask you to be our teacher. And Father, not only that we will see it and understand this passage, but Father, we will experience. And Father, we'll have an encounter with you. Show us, Father, what we need to do, and let us be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. (coughs) 
May 25th, 1979, Dennis Waitley, who was a psychologist and also a motivational speaker, had to go to Los Angeles from Chicago. But he arrived late, and when he got to the door, they had already closed the door to the plane, and they wouldn't open it for him. And let me just say, from personal experience, they will not open that door. Trust me. When that door is shut, you're not getting on the plane. And Dennis Whaley said, you don't understand, I have to be in Los Angeles today. I have a meeting. It's very important for me to go. They would not let him in on, on the plane. And so he went to complain. He stood in line to, to register a complaint and to rebook his flight. And while he was standing in line on the intercom, they announced that that flight he was supposed to be on, AA flight 191 to Los Angeles, had crashed on takeoff. The left wing has separated. The plane flipped and rolled. And at that time, it was the dead, deadliest aviation accident in the United States. 271 people died. Dennis wanted on that plane. And if he had gone on that plane, it would have been a mistake. By the way, he didn't register the complaint, obviously. In fact, he, he took his ticket and didn't even turn that back in. He kept his ticket, put it in his office as a reminder that life was a gift. On that particular day, Dennis thought he knew where he wanted to go, but it would have been in the wrong place. He thought he knew exactly where he wanted to go, where he wanted to be, but it was going to be wrong. Well, this morning in our text, we find another man who wants to go somewhere else, but was told not to. He had an idea, a dream to go someplace else, but he was told, no, I want you to go somewhere else. It's an incredible story. Again, if you have not heard this story before, it's really an amazing story, and it's a troubling story. I mean, throughout the story, I mean, I mean it begins with this troubling setting, and then we find this troubling man, and then it turns into a troubling, uh, a, a, a troubling event, and then it turns into a, tr a troubling request, and then finally a troubling command. Let's look at it. It begins with a troubling setting. Verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Let me, let me give you a little background on this. Previously in the book of Luke, chapter 8, Jesus and his, the disciples were on a boat, and there was a storm. And Jesus calmed the storm. Now, this frightened the disciples. I mean, here's a storm, and Jesus calmed it with a word. And so now they get to the other side. They just went through a storm. And now they're on the other side, but where they were was forbidden. I mean, if the disciples were scared during the storm, they are now petrified where they are. For this region, the garrison. It's called the Decapolis, the Ten Cities. This was not the Holy Land. This was not belonged to the, the Jews. This was not where they believed the covenants would operate. This wasn't Jewish territory. It was occupied by Rome, the Gentiles' land, and, and no Jew in his right mind at this time period would have gone in that land. The idea of walking on the land was foreign to them. It would make them uncomfortable because this land hadn't, didn't have the Torah. They did not honor the Sabbath. There was no temple. This was not where you would want to be. 
To the Jews of this time period, this land was considered unclean. And to make matters worse, there were pig farms everywhere. To the Jews, the pigs were unclean. And this was their number one industry of this area were pigs. They raised the pigs to sell to the Romans. And it was a moneymaker. And then on top of that, there's a graveyard nearby. Now, you have to understand the Old Testament required if a Jew was around the dead, you had to wait seven days to be clean. The book of Numbers chapter 19 said that if you didn't do this, failure to do this, you would be cut off from Israel. They also said that you couldn't have anything to do with the dead. You couldn't touch a pillow. You couldn't touch a mattress the dead had been lying on. So here is Jesus landing the boat in Gentile soil with pigs around near a graveyard. No one asked him to come over. He just went. And the disciples are looking at one another saying, are you kidding me? You want us to get out and go out there? Are, are you kidding me? I'm sure they're thinking, well, it can't get any worse. Then they see the troubling man. Verse 27. And when he came out of the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you to not torment me. It's bad enough to be there. And now we see this this scene almost from a horror movie. I mean, the other gospels give us more information about what's taking place. Mark said he had an unclean spirit. Luke said he was possessed by demons. In other words, he was influenced by Satan. What is demon possession? Demon possession is when you are controlled by demonic forces. And by the way, it's impossible for Christians to be possessed. Now, Christians can be oppressed, but you cannot be possessed. So here comes this man. He's running up. He is possessed by a demon. Here comes this man. He looks more like a werewolf than a wild man. I mean, he's not wearing clothing. He has matted hair. He has long beard. He's been living in the graveyard. They try to control him. They try to put chains on him, but he broke the chains. Mark tells us that he'd been cutting himself. So he has scars all over his body from the jagged rocks. By the way, we understand today when people cut themselves, it's a sign of hopelessness. When people cut themselves psychologically, what they're saying is, I have no control over my life. I have no control over my pain. I want to control something in my life. We know what's causing this. So here comes this man, this demon-possessed man living in a graveyard who lives in a Gentile country surrounded by pigs. By every definition of the Jewish culture, this man is unclean and he's hopeless. By the way, This is an external picture of the internal condition that Satan wants us to be. Satan wants us to be unclean. Satan wants us to be unacceptable to God. Satan wants us to be bound by our sins. Satan wants us to be helpless and hopeless in whatever situation we're in. Satan wants us to be controlled by the demonic. And so this man comes running up to Jesus, and Jesus asks the question, what is your name? He said, my name is Legion. Now, why did he say that? Well, in that culture, the the Roman Legion was was the basic unit of the Roman army. 
He had between five to 6,000 soldiers in the legion, organized, trained, having power. Here's this demon saying to Jesus, there are many of us, and we're, we're under control, and we've taken possession. And the demon keeps asking Jesus the same question. He's imploring him. He said, verse 28, what business do we have with you, each other? Jesus, son of the most high, I beg you, do not tor- torment me. Did you realize that he recognized who Jesus was? Here's this demoniac. He's running up to Jesus. He does not fall on Jesus as he would of anyone else, but he fell before Jesus. Do not misunderstand. He is not worshiping Jesus. He's a demon. But he recognized the authority of Jesus. He recognized who Jesus was. In fact, he was very, very specific. He said, you're the son of the most high God. We know who you are. Just like the book of James says, the demons know exactly who Jesus is. There's no atheist demon out there. And so here you have this troubling man. And that leads to a troubling event. Verse 31. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain. The demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. The demons are begging Jesus, do not throw us into the abyss. Do not throw us into hell. Throw us into those pigs over there, those swine. Throw us over there. They're begging him to be cast into the pigs because they do not want to go to hell. And Jesus gives them permission because Jesus is still sovereign. And here these unclean spirits, they enter into the swine and the, the herd runs into the water and they drown. The herd became just as wild as the man. Mark says there was 2,000 pigs. 2,000 pigs and they're running. What an incredible scene. I mean, these are not little pigs. These are large swine. These are like boars. And they ran, 2,000 of them, screaming and stampeding, jumping off the cliff into the water. They're in pain. They're in agony. Can you even imagine what the disciples are thinking? Now, every now and then I'll preach on this passage and somebody starts feeling sorry for the pigs. You're missing the point of the story. This is the importance of a soul of a man, not concerned about the pigs. And so Jesus says, yes, and so the demons go into the pigs. Which, by the way, is the first case of devil ham in the Bible. You were waiting on that. Come on, come on. I saw it in your eyes. I, I didn't have to go there. But I went there for your benefit. I, I want to scratch that itch. Okay. But can you imagine here the disciples seeing all of this, the sounds and, and the sights of what's taking place as these animals, demon-possessed, run into the water. But that leads to the troubling request. Verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it to the city and out in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. And those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And the people of the country, the garrisons, and the surrounding districts asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. And he got into a boat and returned. 
This was their number one economy. And they come running and they see something that scares them. This demonic, this demoniac, this, this man who was demon-possessed, he is healed. Before he had no clothing, now he's clothed. Before he would shriek, and now he's sitting quietly at the feet of Jesus. Before he was possessed by demons, now he is free of the demons. Before he was out of his mind, now he's perfectly sane, and they are frightened. They're looking at this man, and they can't figure it out. I mean, this man is calm. He's sitting. By the way, sitting is a sign of calmness. Do you ever wonder why when you're not calm, you have to move around? When you're sitting, is a sign of calmness, and he is calm. This is the man they couldn't control. This is the man they put chains on. He could break the chains. And there he is. He's sitting calmly. Not only that, he's clothed. He had been wearing clothes for so long, and now he is clothed. And he's also comprehending. He's in his right mind. He's sitting there. The implication is he's listening to Jesus. And it scares them. The Bible says they were very scared had great fear. And then they make this troubling request that I don't get. They ask Jesus to leave. They've seen the miracle and they ask Jesus to leave. They've seen a man saved and they asked Jesus to leave. They've seen the master. And they asked Jesus to leave. Do you realize they were more afraid of Jesus than the demons? They were more afraid of Jesus because they saw what Jesus could do with someone. He could change them. And they didn't want anyone to change them. They didn't want anyone to mess with their economy. You see, these townspeople, they cared more about their pigs and their pocketbook than they did the soul of this man. That's one of our problems. You see, people, they, 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 they come to God, and they want God to solve their problems, but they don't want God to change their lifestyle. And that's impossible. I mean, people come to God, and they say, Lord, well, you solve my problems, but I don't want to be uncomfortable We come to God and we want God to do something, but we want it on our terms. Churches do this all the time. God, we want to grow. We just don't want to change. God, we want to grow, but we don't want to be uncomfortable. We want to be comfortable. Let let us grow. Lord, let us grow, but I don't want to do anything out out of my comfort zone. And there are many people, they are afraid of Jesus because they know what Jesus might ask them to do. It's possible today in this room, watching online, you are afraid of Jesus because you know what Jesus will ask you to do. And you don't want to do it. He's going to ask you to give up something. He's going to ask you to do something. He's going to ask you to let go of something you don't want to let go. And you are afraid of Jesus. You know he's going to change your life. You know he's going to change your lifestyle. And that scares you more than the demonic world. You're afraid he's going to ask for commitment. You cannot come to Jesus and stay the way you are. It's impossible. When you come to Jesus, you're going to change. But that leads us to the troubling command. Look at verse 38. Jesus 
was asked to leave. And did you notice he did it? I mean, they come to Jesus and they said, get out of here. And Jesus gets back on the boat. He's leaving them. He's doing what they ask. Verse 38. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away saying, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. This former demon-possessed man asked Jesus. In fact, the word is begged. Same word we saw a few weeks ago. He is begging Jesus, let me come with you. Let, Let me get on the boat with you. I want to follow you. I want to learn more about you. And Jesus said, no. I mean, think about this. The demons asked Jesus something. Jesus said yes. The people, the community asked Jesus to do something. He said yes. Here's this convert. He said, let me go with you. And Jesus said no. Sometimes God answers our prayers with no. And by the way, that is still an answer. Jesus said, no, I want you to go back to your homeland. I want you to be my witness. I want you to do the best you can for the kingdom. This man didn't want to stay. He would be the only convert in the land. He'd be alone. He didn't want to stay. Everything would remind him of his past. Every time he went by that, that, that tomb. Stone. Every time he went by that graveyard, every time he walked by those things, he would be reminded of who he was. He didn't want to stay. Everybody's going to look at him with, with suspicion. Is he really healed? He didn't want to stay. But Jesus knew it would be better for him to go back, and that would help the kingdom. And so he sends him back. And here's a man. I mean, think about it. He has no training. He has not been discipled. There's no follow-up plan. He doesn't have a mentor. In fact, Jesus doesn't even tell him, I'll, I'll be back. He said, just go. One preacher said, this is the first person commissioned by Jesus for missionary activity. And what tools did he have to be successful? Nothing more than a story of how he met Jesus and was healed. And the instruction, tell people what God has done for you. Jesus gives him a command. Go back. He really says two things. He says, first of all, show them a transformed life. That's what he means. He said, go to your homeland. They need to see you now. You used to be this wild, violent, demon-possessed maniac. They need to see you now. Once they see you now, they're going to listen to your story. When people see the change that God has made in your life, they're going to listen to your story. The problem is a lot of people don't have the change. So what changes have you made since you've come to Christ? What about your attitude? What about your words? What about your language? What about your feelings toward people? What change have people seen in you because of Jesus? And Jesus said, go to your homeland, show them who you are. They'll see your transformed life. And then he says, tell them what God has done for you. Go to your house. In other words, go to the people you know and tell them what God has done for you. I mean, that's evangelism. We go to the people we know and we tell them the story. But Jesus, they know who I am. Exactly. They're going to see you now and they will listen to you. Margaret Sangster is a, was a social worker. She tells the story of a small boy who was hit by a car and couldn't walk. So she did everything she could to provide the surgery. She raised the funds. She arranged the doctors. And it was years of surgeries. And finally, the boy could walk. She said years later, the, the, the boy came into her office, and he walked in without crutches. And not only that, he did a cartwheel. Margaret Sangster 
told everyone, if I never accomplish anything else in my life, at least there is one young man to whom I could point to and said I made a real difference. And she was telling that story one time, and someone said, oh, by the way, what happened to him? Did he become a social worker like you? Did he become a teacher? Did he become a doctor? What, what happened to him? And Margaret Sainster bowed her head and said, no. He's in the penitentiary for one of the foulest crimes a human being can commit. And then she said, I was instrumental in teaching him how to walk again, but there was no one to teach him where to walk. Jesus said, go back to your homeland and tell them. The same story is found in the book of Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 7, Mark tells us a story not found, the others. It's the feeding of the 4,000. Now, we know the feeding of the 5,000, but there's a feeding of the 4,000. In Mark chapter 7, it goes back that Jesus went back to Decapolis, the garrisons. He goes back, and the Bible says there are 4,000 men listening to him. Where did the 4,000 come from? I mean, when Jesus landed there, there was no one. He had one convert. Later, when Jesus comes back, there's 4,000 men who are coming to hear about Jesus. You know what happened? This one man went and told someone who 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 told someone. And then when Jesus comes back, they hear about Jesus. Oh, this is the guy that healed that, that demon-possessed man. And they came out to hear Jesus. It is the power of one changed life. One changed life can change the world. President George H.W. Bush ordered the invasion of Panama in December 1989. Really, the purpose was to arrest General Noriega because of his drug smuggling. They did arrest him. He went to federal prison. In January 1990, he received a small Spanish New Testament from a pastor in Texas. Noriega wrote him back and said, thank you very much for this New Testament. And so that pastor, Cliff uh, Bannon, decided to see if he could meet with him. Made the arrangement, go through the red tape to meet with Noriega. Spent six hours through a translator telling him about Jesus. Noriega gave his life to Christ. In 1991, he requested to be baptized, but no one believed it. They thought it was a con. So from 1991, requesting a baptism, it wasn't until 1992 that they finally said, yes, you can be baptized. And he was baptized in a courtroom surrounded by heavy guards because they didn't believe it. They thought this was some escape plan. But over time, as he began to read the Bible, as he began to study the Bible, Noriega began to tell others about Christ. He started telling the prisoners. He started telling the guards. He was telling the reporters when they would come and talk to him. In fact, there was a riot at the prison. It was Noriega who told everyone to get back in their cells. He stopped the riot. And then people began to realize he saved this former drug trafficker who by his own admission, study and worship in the occult, had given his life to Jesus. And his life backed up all the words he was saying. And a revival took place in the prison and among the guards. That is the power of a changed life. Do you want to change life this morning? 
You can have a changed life by giving your life to Jesus, and he will change you. Will you do that? By admitting you're a sinner, admitting you cannot save yourself, saying, God, I have messed up so bad. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died on a cross for my sins. I believe he was buried on the third day he arose. And I give him everything. I'm not holding anything back. You can change anything in my life, Lord. I give you full reign. Will you do that? If you're online watching, you want to give your life to Christ, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. If you're here in person today, as we begin singing, just come to the front, talk to me or one of the ministers at the front, or after the service, come to our Connection Center and talk to one of us. But today's the day. If you want to have a changed life, you can do it. Or maybe you're a believer, and you realize God is telling you to do something, go somewhere, talk to someone. Today's the day you're going to make that commitment. Lord, I'm going to do it. Use my life to change the world. Would you stand and bow your heads? Our Father, we thank you so much for the power of our Lord Jesus, how he can change us. And Father, I know that that frightens some people. They're afraid of being changed. Father, they, they like their lifestyle. They like what they're holding on to. But Father, show them today that they need to make a decision. There's a road. There's a fork in the road. One way goes to heaven. One way goes to hell. And they decide which road they want to go on. The road to heaven is through Jesus Christ. The other road is on their own. So, Father, we pray today that you will change us and change our lives for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.